Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Tucker Milling. Join Andy Schneider, National Spokesperson for the USDA APHIS Avian Health Program, Editor-in-Chief of Chicken Whisperer Magazine, and author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, Chicken Factor Chicken Poop, and Zero Waste Chicken Keeping, as he welcomes top poultry veterinarians, poultry scientists, and poultry nutritionists to discuss the hot topics in the poultry world today and provide science-based, fact-based, study-based information to help you raise the healthiest poultry possible. And now, here's your host, Andy Schneider. All righty. Thank you so much for joining us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Tucker Milling. Thanks for tuning in. So, uh, it's been a little while since our last live podcast, but we are back. This podcast is broadcast live, and then it is archived for your listening pleasure, just like over a thousand others that we have done since 2009. So, uh, yes, this is, I guess, our 11th year of broadcasting this podcast. We've done well over a thousand episodes and like I just said, they're all archived for your listening pleasure. You can go back to 2010, 11, 12, 13, and uh, look at our topics that we've done uh, in the past, uh, again, with poultry veterinarians, poultry scientists, and uh, poultry nutritionists to give you the right information to help you raise that healthy flock in your backyard. Uh, if you're a new listener, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, I want to just give you a little bit about uh, all the things that are available to you from uh, the uh, Chicken Whisperer uh, name. So we've got a and it publish a Chicken Whisperer magazine. It is in its sixth year of publication. It is uh, available online. Yes, you can subscribe to the print edition, and we'll mail that right to your mailbox four times per year, winter, spring, summer, and fall, and it is $9.95 for the year subscription. But if you're on a budget like a lot of folks and you just can't quite come up with that $9.95, that is okay because it is available online absolutely free. It is not a condensed version. It's not a smaller version. Nothing is missing out of it. It has always been free. It will always be free. It's not a bait and switch. You can go check that out at chickenwhisperermagazine.com. In fact, you can read every single issue we've ever published there at chickenwhisperermagazine.com. And what separates that magazine from some of the other chicken magazines that are out there are our contributors. So again, the articles you will find in that magazine are science-based, fact-based, study-based from poultry veterinarians, poultry scientists, and poultry nutritionists from major universities and corporations from around the country because I want to make sure I can sleep at night knowing you're getting the right information to raise that healthy flock in your backyard. I'm also the author of four books um, that you can find, of course, on Amazon, Tractor Supply Carriers, and Barnes & Noble, and, of course, uh, Books A Million and retail booksellers everywhere. We do the podcast. We try to do it every single week, Thursday, 2 p.m. Eastern at daylight time. But again, with this crazy world that we're, we've got right now, sometimes that does not happen. But we are glad you're here with us today. I am glad we were back today, and we have a great show lined up for you today. Uh, we've titled this, This Week's Top Questions Answered. And of course, I welcome poultry veterinarian, Dr. Maurice Pateski, Doctor of Veterinary Medicine, uh, with UC Davis, and we'll bring him on here in just a few minutes. I've got to go to a short commercial break first, and then when we come back, we'll get right into it. So during the commercial break, if you're new to this, uh, get that pen and paper ready. A lot of our longtime regular listeners uh, have basically what they call a chicken whisperer notebook. It's a spiral notebook, uh, and they take notes, and they tune in to all, all the broadcasts that we do. 
and then they keep it on file. They, many of them have 11 years <laughs> of these spiral notebooks. Uh, I've seen some of the collections uh, so they can refer back to things. And they'll have topics and headings and things like that. Uh, and uh, those are really uh, dedicated listeners, and we appreciate them. So we're going to go to our first short commercial break. When we come back, I will welcome Dr. Maurice Pateski, and we'll talk about this week's top questions, which I have here in front of me. And we're just going to co- kind of go down the list, and if you have any, um, then maybe you can uh, email them to me. I'll try to check my email throughout the podcast, cw at chickenwhisperer.com. That's cw at chickenwhisperer.com. And I'll try to get those on along with the other questions we have from some of the chicken groups out there where I posted this. We'll be back right after this short break. Don't go anywhere. When you need an incubator, think Brincy, the incubation specialists. Brincy has been a world-leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at Brincy.com. That's B-R-I-N-S-E-A.com. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com, for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. Sweet PDZ has been keeping horse stalls ammonia-free and healthy for nearly 33 years. However, ammonia is ammonia, regardless of the species producing it. Therefore, it will do the same great job in your chicken coops and brooders. Sweet PDZ safeguards flock health by neutralizing and eliminating harmful levels of ammonia and odors. Safe and effective moisture absorption. All-natural, non-toxic, premium-grade zeolite mineral. Contains no masking scents or chemical perfumes. Safe and beneficial to dispose with waste on compost and gardens. Learn more at SweetPDZ.com. That's SweetPDZ.com. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Stromberg's family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for both the beginner and experienced poultry keeper. Stromberg should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. Order online today at StrombergsChickens.com. That's StrombergsChickens.com. And now we return to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer with your host, Andy Schneider. All righty. Thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. We're going to go ahead and head over to the phone lines and welcome our guest today. Long time uh, guest of the radio show, probably uh, six years or so, maybe longer than that, uh, and contributor to um, Chicken Whisperer magazine. You'll see many of his articles in the magazine, as well as contributor to um, at least one of uh, the Chicken Whisperer books that are out there, Chicken Fact or Chicken Poop. It's one of my favorites because it actually started as a website. We started a website uh, which no longer exists. I think it was called Chicken Fact or Chicken Poop. And uh, I contacted my publisher because we were revamping our first book. And I said, hey, this might be a a really good idea for a book. They liked it, uh, and it became a reality. So it is out there. You can find it even on Amazon, Chicken Fact or Chicken Poop. And, And what the book is or what it does, is we took a lot of 
these myths, rumors, and things that were out there on found on the chicken blogs and chicken forums and chicken groups that just seemed too good to be true. Uh, and, I, and, and we we got these questions together. We sent them out to uh, experts in their field, uh, poultry scientists, veterinarians, and nutritionists. And we said, hey, we've seen this posted many a times in these blogs, forums, and groups. Is this chicken fact or is it chicken poop? So you can all these things that you see that seem to be too good to be true. You can flip through, and uh, and it has really uh, the, what we're what we've seen, and then and then the science behind it, and then kind of of whether it's chicken fact or chicken poop. So I'm going to go ahead and head over to the phone lines, and we will bring on uh, poultry veterinarian, uh, Dr. Maurice Pateski. Uh, Dr. Pateski, thank you so much for joining us today. Great. Thanks for having me, Andy. It's good to be here. Great. I can hear you loud and clear. I'm glad you can hear me. I'm on a different setup today. Uh, I had some technical issues the last couple of classes or, or, or podcasts, so we switched things up uh, just about everything right now is all news so hopefully we've got good sound out there i'm going to try to actually cover as much of these questions as we can uh and so uh, to let folks know uh, let's say we cover something about let me just look at a topic here um uh vent gleet i guess and that's a question that'll be coming up here in a little bit uh we in fact it was dr pateski who covered not too long ago we had a podcast where we covered egg bound hens vent gleet and sour crop so uh, it, it was chock full it was a whole hour plus hour i'm sure with that show uh of these topics in detail and so please you can refer back and, and go through the archives and, and find those and listen to those uh so today what i'd like to do doc is just kind of we'll go through some questions We'll keep it kind of short and precise, not make a whole show out of any certain topic, give them enough information to uh, kind of uh, appease their question and their curiosity, and then they can go and look at more detailed information um, after after this podcast. And if I know there was a show regarding that, I can kind of let, maybe lead them in the, uh, in the right direction. So let me go ahead and get started here. The very first... Um, and this is uh, uh, comes to us from uh, Naran. She says, um, if you hatch chicks at home and want to vaccinate them for Merrick's disease, infectious bronchitis, um, LT, foul pox, foul cholera, um, all, you know, um, how can you get these vaccinations? Number one, uh, she does keep a close flock. Uh, she only orders chicks or hatching eggs from certified, uh, licensed, clean hatcheries. Um, I assume she's talking about MPIP. Uh, however, I will need to rehome some that hatch because they will be cockerels. Uh, how can I be sure I'm not setting these uh, rehomed chicks up to get sick when they go to a new flock? I think I need to vaccinate. Do you think I need to vaccinate? So I think her question that towards the end, she's focused on these birds, more than likely cockerels, that she will be rehoming because she can't have cockerels, I guess, we're in her neighborhood or where she lives. She's hatching them out. Um, how can um, she be sure that she's not selling these rehome chicks to get sick when they get to their new flock? And do you think she needs to vaccinate them? Yes, so good question. Um, so the Merrick vaccine, absolutely. So that's the most common cause of mortality, um, basically death in, in backyard chickens um, in the United States. Um, as far as we know. So then there's an outstanding vaccination, um, but it only works if you give it Inovo, which is um, um, day of, it was, it was, while the embryo is still developing. So that's not really possible if you hatch your own birds or if you give it day of age. So when those chicks hatch, um, you can get a, um, a syringe and um, you can get the over-the-counter um, Merrick's vaccination, which you can get at most feed stores. Uh, the dosage is for 500 birds at a time, but you're only spending, you know, maybe 20 or $30 for a bottle of that vaccine. So you reconstitute it with sterile water, there's directions on it, and you give it what's called a sub-Q injection. So just barely under the skin, right behind the neck, um, and um, then those birds are vaccinated. But it only works if you do it a day of age. So if you do it uh, day two, day three, day four, day five, they've already probably been exposed to the virus. And when you vaccinate them, um, it takes about seven days or so to get an immune response. So the longer you wait, the more likely you are to have um, um, exposure to the disease and 
Uh, even vaccinated birds at day of age, if there's a lot of virus in the environment, that's usually the biggest predictor of vaccinated birds getting the disease. So the two things, uh, no other vaccine for backyard birds for the most part, I, I would recommend because it, it gets a little complicated and um, the commercial application of those vaccines, those vaccines are really good for commercial birds, but, but really hard um, and, and not practical for backyard birds. But the Merrick's disease uh, vaccine, very good, very effective, doesn't work perfectly, but um, it, it, it's uh, such a common cause of mortality, Merrick's disease virus. Um, that that it, it, in my mind, it's a no-brainer to, to, to vaccinate. There, there, there's no reason you would not vaccinate against that disease in, in any flock, um, backyard or commercial. Okay, and I will follow it up. I know you've said this before, and others we've had on the show, um, as far as Merrick's being the number one, uh, I, I often know that, and I think you've said this before, if you live in an area where you know there is, for lack of a better term, a prevalent disease. Like I know a young lady who lives down on the coastal Gulf of Florida, and foulpox, for example, is just really rampant mm -hmm. down there. Um, and then so I know she does that. So to follow up, um, is it still kind of the the, the uh, recommendation to, if, if you know in your area there's a particular disease that's more prevalent, like, say, for foulpox, then you might consider uh, adding a vaccination to regarding that yep absolutely so the the foul pox uh example is is i completely agree with that foul pox is um transmitted by mosquitoes so they they feed um and when they're getting their blood meal they can transmit the virus or it's transmitted from other infected birds so there's a gazillion species of birds that also carry foul pox so you get these kind of disgusting scabs all over the face uh, we only get the dry pox version of foulpox, but the big picture, I would agree that if the kind of the word on the street is that, you know, your, your neighbors and other people are having foulpox, sure, add a foulpox vaccine on. Um, it's a combination vaccine, so usually give it, um, it's a mixture of the pigeon pox and I believe the foulpox uh, vaccine that you mix together that just gives you better coverage so you can, you can uh, have your chickens um, exposed to, um, uh, they can be exposed to a wider variety of, of, of virus and, and mounted an immune response. Uh, infectious bronchitis, I, I wouldn't go there. That's the uh, chicken version of coronavirus and, and um, mm -hmm. infectious bronchitis vaccines are, are challenging, just like they're gonna be challenging in humans. Um, infectious laryngeotracheitis, I would not recommend that at all. That's, that's actually illegal to use in some states because the, the virus mm -hmm. can, in some situations, revert to virulence. Salmonella, I, I would recommend, especially if people are um, immunocompromised or they want to give their eggs to their neighbors. Um, you know, we don't, it, it, it's against a specific type of salmonella, and we just don't see a ton of that type of salmonella in backyard birds for the most part. Mm -hmm. But if, if you want to be cautious, that, that would be the other one I would add on. But th those are Merrick's 100% of the time, foulpox, like you said, yeah. depending on the situation, and, and salmonella also, I would say, dependent on the situation. Let's uh, let's move on. Like I said, want to try to get to many of these uh, as we can. We've already got a good start. Um, here's a question, and um, I, I actually addressed it in in the uh, in the comments here as well because it was a pretty uh, pretty basic and and, and uh, um, straight up answer, and, and it could be done very briefly. But we're going to have you follow up with this as well. Uh, Camilla asked. Chick starter with antibiotics, is it necessary? So I'll turn that over to you. <laughs> yep. Um, so um, when you say antibiotics, that's, that's probably what, what you're referring to are what are called coccidia staph. Um, so they're chick starter. It's just the starter feed that you give to your, to your chickens. Um, and, and it's very high in protein. So remember, these are little baby chicks. They need protein to build muscle. Um, so, so having a, a high concentrated, a high protein diet is really good. And then as they get older, especially as they go into lay, then you want less protein and more energy. So, uh, layer fee is usually less expensive because usually protein is the most expensive um, part of it. You have two different types of chick starters for backyard folks. Um, you've got the, um, or for anyone getting this in, in, in non, um, not, not buying this in, by the ton. So you've got the chick starter that's organic and the chick starter that is um, with the coccidia statin. I would highly, highly recommend um, 
not buying the organic one. It's not because I don't like organic or appreciate, you know, what organic is trying to do, all those things I, 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 I understand. Um, but the coccidia stat is, um, it's not an antibiotic. Um, it is just a drug um, that works against coccidia, which is a protozoal parasite. Now, it, it, Chicks, one, when you think about what are the things that chicks die from, the two biggies, especially in backyard or small pastured kind of flocks, the two biggies they die of Merrick's disease, number one, and coccidia, number two. Um, and coccidia, just like Merrick's, is almost 100% preventable. And, and the biggest thing you can do, aside from having good husbandry practices, is using a starter feed with a coccidia staff. Now, those of you that don't like antibiotics, I don't want to use antibiotics if I don't have to. I, I am concerned, um, you know, as a parent um, and as a scientist about antimicrobial resistance. Um, but this is not, this is in a completely different class of drugs. So we don't have to worry about uh, antimicrobial resistance kind of coming back to bite us when it comes to coccidia stats. Um, with antibiotics, absolutely. In, in food animals, there's very strict rules with what antibiotics you can use and can't use. Um, for example, in poultry in the United States, uh, you cannot use what are called fluoroquinolones because we save those for humans. Those, those are serious antibiotics, and the logic is we don't want to encourage antimicrobial resistance against fluoroquinolones by putting it in our animal feed, um, which I agree with in principle. Um, but coccidia stats are completely different. Uh, unfortunately, I think people sometimes conflate the two, um, but mm -hmm. it, it is so important to, to have good husbandry and um, to use coccidia stats. Now, the organic producers, when you buy organic eggs, they, they do not use coccidia stats in their starter feeds. Um, and uh, so it can be done. You can just use good management and, and get to the same um, end, um, end point. Um, as far as having healthy chickens, it, it's a little trickier sometimes, but um, it can be done. But I, I have no reservation about using coccidia stats at all. Um, there, there's no, there would be no reason from a human health perspective or a poultry health. If you're really just concerned 100% about poultry and human health and having your birds, you know, have good, strong uh, guts and immune systems, then, then I, there would be more reason to use the coccidia stat than to not use mm -hmm. And then um, I would follow up with this as well because uh, we, I was doing a, um, a Zoom with uh, poultry scientist Dr. McRae, and someone had asked, then, why do they even make starter if it's so important to use uh, with, you know, medicated starter? Why do they make starter that's non-medicated? And, of course, the answer is if you get chicks ordered and you have them vaccinated for coccidiosis, then of course that's mm -hmm. the time. That's when you want to use un unmedic and unmedicated chick starter is out there, folks. So when you order chicks that are vaccinated, you don't want to use then medicated feed. That's when you would, would buy the uh, non-medicated. Is that correct? Yeah. And the only thing I'd add to that is, so there are these things called shuttle programs. So if you're a commercial poultry company, you kind of go back and forth between using the vaccine and using the medicated feed. And, and, and that way you can kind of, um, you know, kind of keep the coccidia kind of at bay um, mm -hmm. in, in, in the environment. That makes 100% sense um, to me. Um, my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that most backyard, um, hatch, most hatcheries or still the backyards don't typically have vaccinated um, chicks against protozoa or coccidia. So I usually don't talk about that too much, but you're absolutely right. If, if you did buy chicks that have the vaccine in them, um, the vaccines in the live protozoa, just kind of a weakened, weakened strain. So the coccidia stat would actually kill your, your vaccine, basically. So you, you would right. not want to do that. You're absolutely right. And you're right, too, that the majority of chicks that people are buying just from Tractor Supply or the, the local feeds to a store or whatever, lo, you know, locally out of the feed bin when they go in, uh, they have not been vaccinated. This, this, again, for folks that I'm ordering from this hatchery and I'm going to pay an extra quarter for the Merrick's disease, maybe an extra 15 cents for the coccidiosis vaccine. So, cor correct, that would be something they would order specifically when they're ordering birds. Also, I've found... Um, Dr. Pateski, just over the years and years of doing this, <laughs> I found that um, uh, people who have had and who have experienced 
the horror of a coccidiosis uh, outbreak in any of their flocks, <laughs> and they've seen it firsthand, they tend to now buy the medicated mm. starter. Folks that who have never had that st- still tend to see, to, oh, I've never had a problem. I'm, I don't need the, the uh, so, so I've noticed that. Once you've got a problem, once you've seen that coccidiosis firsthand, then it seems that after that, they'll do whatever they can not to have that. Uh, and, and have chicks, chicks drop dead left and right from that disease. They're like, hey, I know now I learned my lesson. I'm feeding the medicated. So I've noticed that over the years, too. If they've yeah. never had it, they seem to just use non-medicated. But if, if the folks that have had it and have seen it, whew, they, they definitely, there's no choice when they go to the store. They're, they're buying that medicated starter. I've seen yeah, that. I completely agree. Oh. And, you know, the, the one thing I would just quickly add, too, is if, if mm-hmm. someone, because I I've felt like I've dealt with this question, you know, several times, just like you have. Yeah. And, and the one thing I would tell people is that, if you, under no circumstances, will you get antibiotics, you're like, you know what? I don't want antibiotics in my food, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I, I get that. That, I, I, I understand that opinion, but, but you would have to have a different excuse for not using a coccidia stat. It, it's a completely right. different class of drugs, and we don't have to worry about resistance and how that can kind of boomerang on humans um, using coccidia stat. So I just want to separate those two, because I know that, that that gets kind of challenging for people to kind of ease out the differences. Mm-hmm. Great. Thank you so much. Uh, the next one, again, uh, this is uh, – where'd it go, where'd it go, where'd it go? Oh, this is good. And, and again, it was, the short answer is, is yes, but we'll, we'll talk about maybe the reasons why. This also comes to us from Camilla. Thank you so much. Should you quarantine a new chicken before adding it to your existing flock? Yes. So um, and, and the reason we do that is, is if, if we get our, and I'm not endorsing this, but we get our, our chicken mm-hmm. on you know, Craigslist or you know, whatever <laughs> website, uh, we, we don't know what conditions that, that chicken was raised under, what diseases it may or may not have been exposed to. So worst case scenario, you buy your chicken, it's whatever breed you wanted, you got a sweet deal, all those great things. Um, and then you bring it home and you're like, Hey, I'm putting it in my flock right now. Everything's great. And then, you know, two days later, three days later, you notice a little slime on that chicken coming out of that chicken's nose or mouth or some diarrhea. And then two or three days after that, you notice the whole flock has whatever that is. And then egg production and you get some, some mortality issues. So that's the worst case scenario. And that happens, right? Um, we all know that it makes sense. Um, so in a perfect world, you would, you would take those, chicks that you in a perfect well in in, in the re, in the real world you would take those birds that you got you got the sweet deal on and you put them um in a in a coop uh, as far away from your flock as possible um and just observe them for for a week or two um you know 10 days some people say 14 days but something in that you know seven to ten day period if they look pretty healthy at that point, you know, no diarrhea, no respiratory signs, um, all, all the, 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 you know, they seem healthy, then at that point you could, you could um, introduce them into your flock. Um, but you really need to have that, that, that period where you're separating them, quarantining them before they go into your flock. And we do this not just with chickens, but, you know, when um, you're trying to import all kinds of animals from one country to another. Dogs, for example, there's all kinds of specific rules about how long those animals have to be have to be quarantined. And now, obviously, with coronavirus, we're having to do that with humans now too. If you are coming from a, a high incident area to a, a low incident area, um, you know, the United States to Europe, for example, right now, um, there are some ways to get in there, but you have to be quarantined for a little before you um, can go out and about uh, in, in the population. So. It, it, it makes sense. It's a way to control disease transmission, especially of, 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 of uh, infectious, highly infectious diseases. Great. Thank you so much for, for that. And we are making great time covering these questions. Uh, the next one, uh, also from Camilla, she had a whole list of them at kind of the top of the list. Um, and I'm sure this probably stems from uh, the, a local news story that was shared on, on this, uh, in this group or on this forum, and it happens every single year after Easter. It's happened every year, uh, at least for the last 15 years, uh, kind of that I've been involved in it. And in fact, uh, 
for about a decade. I was kind of knee deep in the salmonella outbreaks that happen every year uh, related to backyard poultry. I traveled the country teaching about this and educating about the outbreaks. And I've, I've been down at the CDC doing webinars when there's outbreaks and different things like that. Uh, so I'm, uh, she doesn't go into too much detail other than just her question, how to avoid salmonella and let's just instead of getting into MPIP salmonella you know typhoid and that maybe we can just talk about uh, what I'm going to assume her question regarding uh, human strains of salmonella how can I prevent my kids from getting salmonella if my chickens have it as well since that's kind of in the news right now yeah so um, and tell me if I'm deviating from mm -hmm. from the topic at all um, so I think I think it's always good just to assume your your birds do have some type of salmonella. Now there, there's salmonellas um, and salmonellas, so um, <laughs> it, it's <laughs> um, to, to to put it kind of mildly. So the, the, there are some salmonellas that make chicken sick um, and don't make humans sick, and there's some salmonellas that make humans sick and not chicken sick. So the, the the ones that make us sick, unfortunately, don't make the birds sick. So there's no way you can look at your chicken and be like, well, that's impossible. My 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 chicken couldn't have had salmonella. It, I I my kid got sick, but the chicken looks fine. Um, mm -hmm. So unfortunately, that's not reality. The the reality is we just have to assume our our chickens um, are always carriers, even though the data doesn't truly support that. Um, but if we assume that, then you know that's why we're gonna cook our um, eggs and our um, our chicken to 165 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, that's why um, when we're when we're um, um, doing anything with raw poultry, um, we're being very aware of, of, of avoiding cross contamination, um, and we're being very cautious to um, make sure that we we clean up our, our workspace. Um, those are the kinds of things that, that, that we can do on our end, whether it's in our backyard or whether it's from um, the retail store. You know, one thing with, with retail chicken I would really suggest that people do just in general is that, that cellophane wrapping that, that we get when we buy like chicken breasts or chicken thighs, um, it's, it's always a good idea to just double, to, to put that in another bag before you put that into your cart, before it's, um, you know, gets mixed in with the rest of your groceries because you really, that's, that's a, a potential source of contamination also. So you just have to be really cautious, really respectful um, of, of, you know, kind of, you know, the, the reality that, that salmonella is, is probably part of just the normal bacteria that, that chickens have and, and, and their guts are, you know, they, they have them in there. Um, and we just need to be aware that, that um, you know, we are susceptible to that and, and, and we could be exposed to that. Now, that being said, all the research we've done and I've seen in other labs and other papers, I'd say only probably less than 5% of the backyard flocks actually have the salmonella types that really cause foodborne illnesses. Uh, we just don't see a lot of it in backyard flocks. We, we probably see about the roughly equivalent amount of those type of salmonella in backyard flocks that we see in uh, commercial flocks. And there's some apples and oranges there and, and, and mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. probably have a time to ar argue about that, but we just don't see it as much. And, and there's all kinds of arguments as to why that is, but we just don't see a lot of salmonella enteritidis, a lot of salmonella typhurium um, in, in these backyard flocks. That being said, Outbreaks do happen, and uh, when the if, if we don't assume that the birds have it, that's when we, we put our guard down. That's when we, we do kissy faces with our chickens. That's when the shoes that we're um, using to clean our coop, we track in inside, and we end up touching our shoes and then touching our mouth. Um, that's when those kind of bad things happen because we had poor husbandry, poor biosecurity. And we didn't think about, you know, kind of the reality of, like, you know what, I'm, I'm treating my chickens outside. I have all my equipment outside, my clothes, my boots, everything's outside. When I come inside, I change my clothes, I wash my hands, you know, the, the real simple basic things. Um, I would say there is, going back to vaccination, there is a salmonella enteritidis vaccine. Um, and um, in California, we actually require it in flocks above 3,000 hens. So if you sell eggs in California, um, you have to have um, your, your hens vaccinated against salmonella enteritidis. 
That requires two live vaccines, a day of age and week eight, and one killed vaccine um, at 14 weeks of age. Is that perfect? No, but um, it is a, a, a relatively effective way to reduce any salmonella enteritis that might um, be present in your flock. Do I always recommend it for people? The only time I really recommend it for people is if you're commercial, 3,000 or non-3,000, I recommend it for two reasons. Uh, one, it, it does work. Um, and, and two, I think there's some liability issues. So I've talked to some co-ops and some small markets, and their, their, their lawyers tell them if you have 2,999 hens, even though legally you don't have to vaccinate against nominal enteritis, they tell you to vaccinate because if you're selling at the farmer's market or you're selling at a local co-op, you know, their, 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 uh, their lawyers are telling them, nope, it doesn't matter, have them vaccinated because if someone, God forbid, gets sick and then they find out that we were, mm -hmm. you know, we, we were selling eggs that were from flocks that were not vaccinated, you know, there's some liability issues there. And I would imagine as a backyard owner, you know, I always tell people, if you're giving your eggs to neighbors and things like that, you don't know what they're doing with them. Maybe they're making, you know, custards. Maybe they like really runny eggs. Maybe they don't like you. Who knows? Maybe they're like <laughs> they do the rocky thing and they and they drink the raw eggs before they work out. Um, so God forbid if they get sick, you know, you, you you'd want to be able to say that you did everything you could. So um, I I in, in those scenarios, I think it's 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 useful to at least consider the the, the vaccine, the two live and the one killed. The live ones go orally. The killed ones an injection. Um, Again, there's going to be some wastage because the kill vaccine is, is comes in a big, you know, I think it's a 500 per dose, um, mm -hmm. but, but you can have access to them. It's not perfect. The live vaccines don't really work very well. It's the killed one that does the best job, um, okay. the best immune response to. But that, that's, does that cover kind of that, that topic enough? It does, yeah. I'll, I'm going to add a couple of things. One, because people out there right now listening are probably saying, well, can I, you know, have my check? Uh, flock tested for salmonella and and this for the longest time uh has been relayed to me that yes you can but the test itself isn't all that reliable because they may not be shedding the salmonella every day so the, the day you test uh and, and get that uh, fecal sample then, then they may not be shedding it but guess what two days later here comes the salmonella out in their in their uh fecal matter so uh you there is a test for it it's not really recommended by most folks that i know just because it's not really reliable based on it's kind of shed intermittently if, if you will so uh, just to let folks know kind of about that, that there's a test, but most people don't recommend it, of course, for the backyard flocks. Um, and I, too, have seen some research regarding the poultry labs around the country to where, you know, salmonella really falls in the, the scheme of things, like the top 10 diseases uh, that we saw this, the last five years in our backyard flocks doing necropsies and whatnot. And salmonella is kind of way down the list compared to much, much of the much of the others. So, um I wanted to share that with folks and to give them a little bit of history real quick and move on to the next one uh, with these outbreaks that happen every every year um, that people think, well, you know, I always from this hatchery. I got them. They, I put them clean in the brooder. They're still in the brooder. And, and, and maybe someone in their family got it or whatever. How, how, where are they getting this from? That type of thing. And uh, from um, the, the census over the last years, me being involved with it. The, the chicks are essentially coming from the hatcheries already infected with the salmonella, um, and then um, it's a, it's basically a hand-to-mouth type of issue. The salmonella is in their feces. They clean the brooder. They forget to wash their hands before they have a sandwich, or they let the world play with the chicks, and we know how kids are with putting their hands in their mouth, even though you're like, whoa, 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 let's make sure we wash our hands. Uh, and in that case, the, most of the uh, outbreaks every year after Easter seems to come from that, that type of infection, kind of hand-to-mouth congestion from cleaning a coop or from the chicken poo, and we know chicken poo is everywhere. And then I wanted to follow that up with, with the testing. Um, unless you have some different information, we'd love for you to share it. My understanding is the test isn't all that accurate because of the intermittent shedding of the salmonella. It could be come back as a false negative, if you will, or it's negative, uh, but they do are, are carrying. And I see that a lot too, Dr. Pateski. Well, my, my chickens look healthy, or someone would say, I've seen this many a times, you would know if your chickens have salmonella because they're going to be sick. And again, that's definitely not the case. And then I'll wrap my part up with saying, you know, there's really over 2,000 different strands or strains of salmonella. So it's like uh, a lot of people say, well, if I get salmonella, then I'll be immune to it. And that's just not the case because there's over 2,000 different strains uh, of that and it's nothing really to play around with so did you want to add anything else before we go to the next one 
Yeah, the only thing I would add is so mm -hmm. I the, the the test that you do for salmonella enteritidis, which is the stereotype that's most common that causes the most mm -hmm. newborn illness and that's associated with poultry. So you're absolutely right. That that is uh, the 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 bacteria, like a lot of things, that's intermittently shed. So one day they poop mm -hmm. it, the other day they don't poop it. But that's mm -hmm. why we do the environmental test. So that's why we take a mm -hmm. little swab and we wipe it along the ground where all the chickens have mm -hmm. been over the last months and stuff like that in their in their in their coop. And, and the reason we do that drag swab instead of swabbing the cloaca is because hopefully if they've shed salmonella mm. and rididus over the last several weeks or so, it, it, it should be, in theory, in that environment. Mm -hmm. So that mm -hmm. environmental test, I usually recommend for people to do it once a year if they're concerned um, okay. because a liability issue, A, and, and B, um, if you're going to do it once a year, do it probably in the winter or the spring when the, when the environment's kind of moist, where if you have it, we'll probably find it in the environment. Um, mm -hmm. We do have some instructions on, on how, to, how, how to do the test, how to submit it. It's very straightforward. Um, not that many people do it. It's, 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 you know, to your point, if we don't find salmonella enteritis, does that mean there's other salmonellas there? Probably, yes. And, and are some of those probably pathogenic? Maybe, maybe they are. So it, it's kind of for, it's almost a personality kind of thing. If people are really fastidious just by nature and they're like, you know what, I want to know, I want to do this, or some 4-Hers that are really into, you know, kind of teaching um, kids, you know, the right way to raise birds and, and just going that extra mile, I, I recommend it for in those scenarios. But you're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. All the caveats you, you, you gave are, 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 are certainly um, I just thought, things to be aware of. I thought of something else I wanted to share with our listeners because they truly may not know this as well. About three to four years ago, the CDC and the USDA, we got together, and um, when this was happening so much every year, uh, we got the, the hatcheries to come on board, and there is now, because most of them always have kind of participated in the MPIP, National Poultry Improvement Plan, where there's certain testing that's done, um, but there is now a level of participation called salmonella monitored and this isn't just the the salmonella typhoid and, and what the chickens get and they all if they're mpip pardon me check for that this just came on board about i think four years ago maybe five and um so when you call the hatchery uh whether it's uh hoover's or mcmurray or cackle or, or whoever uh, when you call that hatchery to place your order uh, i definitely encourage you to say hey do y'all participate in the mpip salmonella monitored program. Now, be very careful. I did this once with a hatchery. I won't name it. Uh, I asked them in their online chat, and they said, yes, they were. I followed up with a phone call, and then they said, no, actually, we uh, do not. But um, salmonella, the, the specific salmonella monitored program is where they actually test. And I, fa I forget how many times a month they actually do test. I want to say it's five or six in different places like the conveyor belts and the, and the brooders and uh, the, um, uh, the hatchers and the incubators and things like that where they check for salmonella strains that can actually affect humans. And so that may be something if it concerns you. Uh, just lets me know the hatchery is doing everything they can and everything that was asked of them uh, to help because hatcheries don't want people sick. I mean, that, that's, you know, so uh, they want to give healthy product. So they, the, the, most of the big ones are participating in that salmonella monitored program. And if they just say, oh, yeah, we're MPIP and that checks for salmonella, you may have to check them on that and say, no, 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 this is specific salmonella monitored where you check for salmonella that actually affects humans, not just the chickens. So I wanted to share that with folks when you call that hatchery. If that's important to you. Um, you can ask them if they uh, participate in that program. Okay, um, Katie has a, a, a question, and we've seen this actually a lot lately. It's it's hot, and people often say, you know, you shouldn't order chicks or have them shipped in the middle of winter or in the middle of the summer just because of the environmental concerns. Maybe the post office leaves that, that crate of chicks on the back deck uh, of the post office before they move them again, and the sun's going down, and it's just right there in the sun or, or even in the winter, the same issue. But Katie wants to know, why do baby chicks uh, not do well this time of year? Is it the heat and humidity? And I'm just going to, again, that's all I have. So I'm assuming like when you, sh when they're shipped, you might have a few more that are dead on arrival than, than are, um, maybe you picked up um, uh, a store uh, and you brought them home. Now, it's super hot, it's hot, you know, um, but why, why would you say as a poultry vet, um, chicks don't seem to do well this time of year because of the heat? So 
I, I'm going to answer that for chicks and for just regular okay. birds also, because um, sure. it's somewhat similar. The, the, the dis, well, so in general, survival of birds at high temperatures is strongly influenced by volume of water consumed. So cold water is basically acts as a heat sink. So if you can get cool water into your birds, that, that is one of the um, uh, best ways to help um, kind of evaporative cooling from the comb, the waddles, um, the head. Um, so it, it's really, you know, water is, is kind of one of these things we probably kind of ignore a little because it just seems so basic. But um, offering cool water is really important. Chicks is, are even a little more challenging um, because, first of all, chicks don't always, first of all, know where water location is. Um, one of the things that we usually recommend for chicks is that the waters, um, if, especially um, for the first week or so, um, that you, um, you, you water them out of basically a pan. Um, and in that pan, you put marbles. Um, the shininess of the marbles attracts the birds. Um, and uh, the other thing that, that, that marbles do is they, they prevent the birds from, uh, from drowning in the water. Sometimes um, birds, the chicks aren't too smart, as cute as they are. They don't, they don't always realize that they're, they're, there's a way to get out of the water um, when, when their head goes into it. Um, so chicks are a little more complicated in the sense that uh, ch chicks don't have the ability to thermoregulate until they get their down feathers after a couple weeks, I believe. Um, so um, it, it is much more challenging for all the challenges that we have for birds are kind of compounded in chicks, and that goes for cold and for heat. Um, so it's very important, especially uh, when, it, when it's hot, that, that, um, that, that chicks are given every opportunity to, to have uh, cool water. Humidity and, and, and temperature, there, there are this kind of relationship between the two of them. Um, and if it gets too humid, it, it really, and I don't know what the, the, the threshold specifically is, and it's different for different breeds and all those type of things, but as it gets too humid, it, it really prevents that evaporative cooling from occurring. Um, so, and this is even a bigger challenge sometimes in some of the, the, the heavier birds because they just don't get um, as much evaporative cooling as they're large breasted and um, it, it, it's more of a challenge for them. Um, something else I was going to say, but I just lost my train of thought, but oh, oh, I was going to, I was going to mention something about um, misting on misters. Mm -hmm. um, so misters are, 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 are really good and effective as long as the birds use them. So a lot of birds don't like misters. Um, so if they like them, that's a great thing. The, the disadvantage of misters is you can get, you know, your, your environment can get very kind of mm -hmm. wet and that encourages bacteria and protozoa and just allows all those bad things to kind of persist. Um, you know, we've taken birds before and um, if you have a small flock, this is not a, a problem. Larger flocks, you can't do this, but just taking the birds individually and gently putting them into some cool water and then taking them out again. Um, there's been some... Uh, I think we found one paper that, that seemed to support um, that aspect of evaporative cooling, just, just, you know, allowing them to have water, but then also allowing them to, um, to have that evaporative cooling just on their, on their external um, um, feathers and, and, and things like that. But it is, it is, this time of year can be very challenging. You're right. Even in temperature controlled spaces, um, because um, of, of the, the external environment is, is very challenging. And, and, and especially as it gets too humid, um, it, it does become very challenging to get true evaporative cooling. I think as you get a certain temperature and humidity um, a level, you, you basically reach this point where they, they can't evaporatively cool. Um, so having uh, airflow is also really important, so um, like a breeze. Uh, the only thing is you don't want the breeze at the level of the birds. You want it basically right above them. Um, so you want to move that, that hot air out of the way, but you want to make sure it's the hot air above them because most birds, especially chicks, don't like uh, wind at all. And that, that kind of stresses them out. Um, I think those are the main kind of points I was going to hit on. No, thank you so much. Yeah, even in the hot summer months, I, t I tell folks about, you know, uh, they, they, a lot of people say, oh, I'll add a box fan to, to the coop and whatnot. And um, I'm like, yeah, air movement, definitely a plus. And, and if you want to put a fan in the coop, that's great. <clears throat> we just don't want to put that fan where it's aiming directly on them, especially all night long. Even in the summer, there's some cool nights. And just having that constant br breeze or wind hitting them all night long on, on that roost is just not going to be healthy for, for those birds. So I'm glad you touched on that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, that air movement, but not necessarily the fan directly on them. I've got to go to my second yep. commercial break, but I'm going to 
and give you the next question uh, and, and kind of lead into the next question so you can think about it before we come back. And, I, and I'll, I'll lead into to this. Initially, folks, uh, I had sent Dr. Pateski uh, a topic idea like, hey, can we cover uh, supplements? And um, for example, one of my examples I sent to, to Dr. Pateski was, okay, we know that birds eat less in the summer and drink more in the summer. So, you know, kind of the scenario, if they're eating less, and that's where they're getting most of their nutrition, vitamins, minerals, um, amino acids, things like that. If they're eating less of that in the summer because they're drinking more, does that then mean I need to add supplements to their water since they're not eating as much and maybe not getting the, because uh, they're not eating as much, that calcium in those laying pellets, they're not getting the calcium that they need to produce that egg, then they're taking it out of their, you know, say their, their own bones and whatnot. Do we need to add something to their water and supplements? And uh, uh, Dr. Podesta, you came back and said, as a general rule, I just don't recommend supplements for backyard flocks. And then that that leads to our to our question uh, when we come back. Um, that are what are the best supplements uh, to maintain a healthy flock? So that's the question from Lisa, and I wanted to kind of lead into that. I'm gonna go to commercial break because we were actually gonna kind of do a show on supplements uh, until you gave us kind of your your general rule of thumb about. You're recommending them or not recommending them. So we come back, we'd kind of like to know kind of your theory on that. Is it my theory and, and why our chickens here get nothing but laying pellets and clean, fresh water is because my theory is it's in there. Those layer pellets are designed by poultry nutritionists. Uh, there were lots of letters behind their name that are experts in their field, and that's they know the more about the you know. And so that's I'm trusting them that layer pellets is what they need from week 16 to the day they die. And, and I put my trust and faith in that. And that's, I, mine don't get treats, mine don't get watermelon, mine don't get, you know, anything. I'm, 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 a, mean, I'm a mean chicken daddy. <laughs> they, get, they, get, they get laying pellets. And again, unless I am testing a product, which you do some here, sometimes I just got done. Uh, they sent me two small bags of uh, some black soldier fly larvae. We did our test, and then and then that's it. So, like I said, on those rare occasions when we're testing a treat or a supplement or you know something like that here on the, on the homestead, which we do a lot of, but um, it's just laying pellets. So I'm going to go to commercial break. We come back. We'll cover this young lady's question, Elisa. What are the best supplements? to maintain a healthy flock. And folks, we are talking today with poultry veterinarian, Dr. Maurice Pateski, and we'll be back right after this short break. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFRadio.com. That's GQFRadio.com. Metzer Farms is now hatching and shipping the premier egg layer. This girl is consistently laying jumbo eggs with a higher nutrient density and lower water content than your eggs now. She is an extremely hardy bird and the most heat and cold tolerant egg layer available, allowing for year-round outdoor production. An eggshell unmatched in sturdiness and thickness, making cracks a thing of the past. Increase your health and double your egg profits. Of course, we're talking about ducks. Duck eggs are revered by chefs for their succulent flavor and by bakers for being the better baking egg. Learn more about this extraordinary duck, the Golden 300, or any of our other 35-plus breeds of ducks and geese at MetzerFarms.com and order your next flock from us. And now we return to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer with your host, Andy Schneider. Alrighty, thank you very much for staying with us today. Also, uh, this time I see a lot of posts about my brooder really stinks or my coop really stinks. What can I do? I even saw a post uh, 
yesterday or the day before where the, the neighbors, the, my neighbor just knocked on my door. She said, my coop stinks. Um, and I think she had a brooder slash coop combo from the pictures that she was showing. And she's like, you know, what can I do? And uh, a product that we tested here on the homestead uh, for about six months or so before it even went to market. Uh, you can go back and look at the videos that we did testing this black label. We didn't let anybody know what it was. Um, and it is called, now it has been released, it is called Chick Fresh, and you can find it on Amazon. It is all natural. Uh, it does use enzymes. It doesn't just mask the odor of ammonia. It neutralizes the ammonia, um, and it works fantastic in your brooders. I don't care if you're using the pellet bedding or the pine bedding or whatever bedding you choose to use. It works fantastic. It works great in the coop. Um, you can buy it. I think it's a 24 bottle. Uh, it's about 12 bucks on Amazon. So if you can go to Amazon, type in Chick Fresh Odor Control, and you'll see it there. The reviews are absolutely fantastic. Uh, and I tell people from the first, don't take my word for it. Go look at the reviews. Uh, and then whenever I post about it, then there, there'll be others that say, this stuff actually works. I use it in my cat litter box. I use it in my trash can liner. I use it here. I use it there. I spray my truck seats with it. I've actually done that before because um, we have a farm truck, and uh, it sometimes needs to be freshened up a little bit. Uh, but what I do is I buy the, I think it's like a four ounce concentrate bottle. And I mix that in one gallon sprayer. Our coop is so big. We have a 10 by 20 coop. We have a couple of five by eight coops. We've, and, and so, but in our big coop, it's 10 by 20. Um, I mix it in one gap to use that four ounce concentrate, uh, pour it in that one gallon pump sprayer, fill it with water and I'm good to go. And I'll just, I can use that because we use the pine shavings, but the stuff bottom line, it works. Check them out. Uh, Amazon, and just type in Chick Fresh Odor Control. So let's get back over here to the phone lines with Dr. Pateski. I'll open this back up, even though I do remember the question. Um, what are the best supplements uh, to maintain a healthy flock? And, and, and you can kind of see where she's coming from because you walk into, say, a tractor supplier or a farm store, go down the chicken aisle, and there's just whole rolls of bottles of this and that and the other, and this elixir and that, and uh, probiotic and prebiotic and um, electrolytes, vitamins, electrolytes, mix in the water and give this, give that. Um, there were almost kind of inundated uh, with this stuff. And then people often have the questions, when, how early can I give this? Do I need to give this? And then sometimes it's marketed for the chicks with a little packet you can put in their, their water when you first get them. And then some are marketed to, again, the hinge. You know, just add one scoop of this per gallon per day for this, that, and the other. So um, that's her question. And uh, I'm going to turn it over to you because I'm, I'm personally, too, am ans uh, interested in your answer about kind of as a general rule uh, you don't as a poultry veterinarian kind of recommend supplements yep so um, as a general rule so you know if you think about um, let me just give a kind of a backstory here so in California we have four diagnostic labs so people submit their their dead or sick birds to the diagnostic labs and the, the amazing pathologists figure out what, what why they're sick or why they why they died and the main thing they all die of is Merrick's disease and followed by like E. coli and coccidia and those types of things. So if we think just about nutritional diseases, um, if, you, if you looked at the, there was a study done by Gabriel Santias, who's now at University of Texas, but used to be at, at Davis. And um, he looked at, there were three, over 3,000 different uh, submissions to the diagnostic lab throughout the entire state of California, backyard birds. And only 80 of them, about 2.5% of them, um, were found to have been sick and or died from a nutritional problem. So it, it's a small problem. Um, so, so now if we dive into that nutritional kind of slice of the pie of, of like, well, what are, what are backyard birds dying of when it comes to nutrition? Very few of them are dying, right? 80 out of over 3,000. Um, the two big diseases you get are rickets and vitamin E deficiency. So rickets is, um, um, it, it usually occurs because of a poor ration. So to your, to your kind of argument that, well, in the summertime, they don't eat as much. Uh, maybe they're not getting enough vitamin D or calcium. Um, sure, that can happen. Um, rickets, you know, could be a problem. 26 cases of, of rickets in, in California backyard birds uh, over about a 10-year period. Uh, 26 mm -hmm. out of 3,000, you know, very small percentage, but sure, that, that's a possibility. What do you typically see in, in rickets? You know, pliable, soft beaks and bones. Um, so the beak is kind of bendable, act, 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 um, actually. 
Um, so if you did see some rickets in your flock, um, sure, you could absolutely give vitamin D as a supplement, some additional calcium as a supplement. Um, does that happen more in the summer? Not so much, you know, here, but maybe in other, in other areas, maybe so. But, you know, you have to, and philosophically, my own approach would be like, this is a really small problem based on the numbers. So philosophically, I would say don't give the supplement unless there's a demonstrated problem. We're not going to give antibiotics unless the, the, the chickens have, you know, disease. Um, we're not going to give painkillers to our animals unless there's something wrong with them. Same thing goes with, with vitamins. I'm not going to give excess vitamin D. Uh, first of all, it's fat-soluble, so we can actually have we can, we, can, we can have the reverse problem. We can have too much vitamin D. Um, and, and calcium, not so much. You can have some oxalate issues, some kidney problems if you give too much calcium. So, so my, my point is that I, I wouldn't suggest just willy-nilly saying, oh, it's hot, my birds probably need some supplements, um, and, and, unless you actually see a problem. So um, the rickets issue, and then the other, one, the other one that you see a little of, a little less than rickets, but, you know, kind of in that same ballpark is, is uh, vitamin E deficiency. And that, that's a problem in chicks. Um, that, that can occur uh, because chicks aren't getting um, enough starter feed, or it can occur because the starter feed, um, if you leave the starter feed out too long, um, let's say you, you, ha you hatched some birds, you know, six months ago, and you're like, oh, I've, I've got all this extra starter feed now. I'll just save it for my next hatch. Um, if, especially if that feed is stored improperly under hot conditions, um, the vitamin E, among other vitamins, can actually break down. And now you don't have enough vitamin E, and now your, your birds get this disease called encephalomalacia, um, which uh, is kind of in coordination. It's a kind of a neurological kind of problem. Um, that, that the birds get, and there's no cure for that. So you'd have a flock of birds, and you'd start seeing your chicks um, doing some stargazing and kind of wandering around, being ataxic, kind of looking almost like they're drunk or something like that. Um, the affected birds don't recover, like I said. So, so you could make an argument, well, I'm, I'm having, you know, some vitamin E issues, but that, that's more of a problem with the feed. Um, the, maybe the way the feed was manufactured or stored than it is like with, with, with the birds not getting enough feed. So if you have the feed in front of them in your brooder, you've got water there. Remember, the biggest predictor of food consumption is water consumption. If people are really worried, if we're really dealing with extreme heat in some parts of Africa in, in commercial settings, what they'll do is actually feed the birds at night uh, when it's a little cooler. Um, so, you know, that's something certainly to consider, too. Um, and I think there's actually some nice data that, that um, um, shows that that's actually pretty effective. Um, but, but as a general kind of principle, I, I wouldn't, when you go down that aisle, and I know all the, the people that sell those, those supplements are, are probably going to be mad at me, I, I wouldn't just willy-nilly buy them <laughs> thinking that, oh, they need this one and this one and this one. And, and some of that's philosophical. Some of that's just based on data, though. I, I, I just don't see a problem with it. So, you know, when I look at the data, like focus on merit disease vaccination. And then, you know, then, then we, we can go kind of down the line from there. This is kind of at the bottom of the list. So, so sure, if we have some evidence of a nutritional deficiency, we, we can go, you know, kind of attack it. But, but at least philosophically, I just don't see, I don't see the problem in, an, in enough flocks to justify just, just adding these supplements on. And, and to your point, that's why nutritionists do their job. That's why the feed is, is made the way mm -hmm. the feed is made. To, to address all of these problems. That's why the starter feed's made a certain way. That's why that the layer feed rations are made a certain way. I mean, this is, there's a lot of science behind this, and, and that's mm -hmm. what you're supposed to avoid is, is any kind of deficiencies within reason. And I think we sometimes, you know, as humans, and we love our birds and our animals, and then we give them all these scraps and things like that, and that's where we start usually running into nutritional problems, not because of heat. It's, it's an interesting question, like, of those – vitamin mm -hmm. E and Ricketts cases, how many of them are, are because, you know, the owner just was giving a incorrect ration or something like that. How many of them were because of maybe environmental I factors think like summer? That's exactly like where that. that's exactly where I was going with this too, because you said, you know, uh nutritionally we don't see a lot of, you know, issues when we're doing the necropsies, but uh other other like you just did a fantastic article about fatty liver disease 
and that we it, we do we have seen an increase in backyard flock fatty liver disease across the country from the um, uh, poultry labs that I've talked to, and it's based on again too many treats, which then uh, uh-huh. disrupts that nutritional value. You know, your 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 um, uh, they don't get the nutrition value because they're eating those treats instead of for every ounce of treat they eat is a ounce of nutritionally balanced feed they're not going to eat. And then they get the fatty liver disease, which can of course cause death in the bird, but also uh, a question we're not going to be able to get to. And, and, and I've got to run here myself is that um, with that, oh, now, now I lost just like you were earlier, you were going down that road. Um, oh, I know. Egg getting to that age. So I, yeah. They were some, another question we're not going to get to today was, you know, egg bound hens. There is a uh, podcast, by the way, if you asked that question uh, not too long ago with Dr. Poteski covering egg, egg bound, bent gleed and um, sauerkraut. So please go back in, in our archives and listen, and listen to that show. Um, but with that, uh, like egg bound, one of the issues I think is an overweight hen due to, um, and we go all the way back to, to having issues with, well, I give high protein chick starter. I give game bird starter to my laying hens, getting that, you know, and that can be an issue. And then there's too many treats, fatty liver, but also having a overweight hen can lead to the egg bound uh, issues, um, egg binding and things like that. So it, it more, even though it may not be, I guess, top, the top tier of why we see deaths in backyard flocks, uh, too many treats, bad diet, you know, the, the uh, too many scraps, things like that can lead to these other issues that then can um, cause problems for your flock. But, um, but yeah, I wanted to cover that too, that fatty liver disease, because go check out chickenwhisperermagazine.com and check out that article, uh, all the articles that Dr. Pateski has done. But I'm out of time because um, I've got my um, I've got a meeting here in about 10 minutes. So, uh, Dr. Pateski, if you want to wrap up with anything, but I'd say, hey, thank you so much for coming on. It's always a pleasure. Second uh, second Thursday of every month uh, is Dr. Poteski's assigned day, so you can mark that in your calendar. Get a little alert, 2 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, second Thursday of every month. We're right here, and uh, we're either taking your questions or we have a, a really neat topic discussing that is related to your backyard flock. So, um, Maurice, thank you so much for coming on today. We really, really appreciate it. Okay, great. Thanks for having me, Andy. Have a good week. You, you bet. Thank Thanks you everyone. so much. All right. It's always great when we have Dr. Pateski on. Also, the first and third Thursday of every month, we have poultry scientist Dr. McCray on from Auburn University, and we often talk about all kinds of really cool topics as well. Uh, and then normally the fourth Thursday of the month, you just never know what you're going to get here on uh, on backyard poultry um, with the Chicken Whisperer. So, again, I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Please check out chickenwhisperermagazine.com as well. This has been Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Tucker Milling, with your host, Andy Schneider. For more information, find us on the web at chickenwhisperer.com, on Facebook by typing in The Chicken Whisperer, on Twitter at Backyard Poultry, and on Instagram at The Real Chicken Whisperer. Thanks for listening.